You are listening to PD in Pajamas, the only podcast where you can get professional development credit in your underwear. Our mission is to provide teachers with quality professional development on the go. Learn from real teachers and experts on topics that you care about. Listen anytime, anywhere. Enjoy season one, classroom management. So hi, Darcy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. You're good, awesome. Can you tell me, um, can you give me like a little introduction about what you do in a school and maybe a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am one of the school counselors at a middle school, and um, my background is in social work. So I have my master's in social work and a credential in school social work. been in the field for about 15 years now, but in the school counseling position um, only about seven years, I guess. So, where where did you go to school? Like, where did you where did you get? I know you had a master's degree, but where did you get your undergrad in? Where was that? So I went to Eastern Washington University Washington. and got my undergrad in social work there. And then my I started off in the social work field at a homeless shelter in downtown Spokane with working with teens. Oh wow! Um, and I think that's when I decided I wanted to work for sure with kids in this field. Um, when you were working in downtown Seattle, is that what you said? Seattle or Spokane? Spokane, Spokane Washington. Yeah, so I was in Spokane for a little bit, finishing up my degree. That was my practicum, and then I moved to Seattle for about a year and worked at a residential treatment facility for kids there with severe emotional behaviors and that things like that. So when you were you, I, I'd like to talk to people about when they were going to school. I know you probably didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a school counselor at that time, but you probably knew I was going to work with with children, like kids and school-age kids. So what kind of training did they have specifically to working with kids? Did they have, like, specific classes on, here's how you deal with a middle school kid or a high school kid or elementary? So in the social work field or in the social work um, program, we did a lot of – so my classes were on human behavior, so there is – um, training in child development and different um, the different stages that we go through as we're growing, and then a lot of study on just people and their behaviors. Um, and then there is other classes focused more on case management and working with people and families. Um, so I feel like a lot of my training has come more since I since I've decided that like, I know I want to work with kids in the social work field. So I've taken more classes, learned more specific to children since then. Was there any disconnect between like what they said here, this is what it's going to be like working with kids and then actually having working with kids? Well, I think since my training, I've learned a lot more about, I'm really fascinated with the neuroscience and how the brain works and working with kids in that way, which I didn't receive that in my initial schooling. So I think that's lacking and just understanding more why we act the way we do yeah. and why kids do, right? I, I want to jump back. Let me jump back a little bit. So I think being a school counselor is a really unique position. Um, and we don't, a lot of people go into social work and things like that. And did you see yourself going into like a social work field? Did you, when you started college, were you like, I want to be a social worker? This is, 
Is, was that what? What did you like want to do no. going into it? Yeah. So I originally wanted to be a um, physical therapist. I, so I knew I wanted to help people. So I've always wanted to be in the working, working with people, helping people. Um, but then I realized that I was really interested in the social sciences, learning about. Um, society and how we interact together and also the psychology classes just in the generals at that general level and that's when I realized that this was a different field that I was probably gonna go into and then heard about social work and at that time when I was going to the community college there was just a few classes there um that were specific to social work and so I feel like it was something I didn't really realize even that I could go into at that time interesting I thought of a social worker at back then being you know right out of high school as a I thought of child protective services but I didn't realize that there was this whole field that I could go into the mental health field with and do other things interesting um, and you said when you were working as a counselor in Spokane, that's when you worked with a lot of youth and like school age kids. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that was like? And because that kind of fundamentally changed your trajectory a little bit, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so my position was a case manager. So I worked um, helping kids with the resources and I worked with the schools helping working with like the McKinney Vento liaisons because they were homeless population. Um, and so really it was just kind of mind blowing because I didn't realize that there were homeless shelters for kids coming from a small town in Idaho. Um, so there was just a huge learning curve of kind of a culture shock, I guess, too there. Um, but that's when I realized, wow, there's this, this need and I really enjoy working with the kids and I still was naive to think that I just want to work with kids and students or in that capacity but I don't really think I want to work with adults but what I quickly learned is you have to work with adults and the families if you're working with kids. Isn't it interesting that I live in a small town here in Twin Falls and there's a homeless shelter for kids here too something I never Mm -hmm. would have thought of I never would have imagined and uh, and just seeing those environments has really, um, really changed the way I look at some kids as an educator, for sure. So, so you go in there, you're working uh, in Spokane, and then a light bulb turns on saying, like, whoa, was it that you thought you could do more with kids in a school? Or where, how did you transition into a school? I worked in a shelter, then I worked in residential treatment, and then I moved to Idaho and I worked at another residential facility. Um, It used to be called Syringa House. They're no longer open, and that was in the Napa area. I don't know if you've heard of that, but um, that was with Northwest Children's Home. Um, And so that was my work for about three years. And then, to be honest, I think that the... Schools just seemed like that would be a good place to work individually with kids, but also a variety, have a variety of kids that I'm working with because I've been working so much with a certain population of kids that were in the foster system, um, very emotionally um, distraught or um, struggling 
in that way. And so this was a way to work with more diverse population of children. So when you started working from in a school, from working in the community, what were the differences? What did you notice that, that was different about the job? So when I made that change to work in the schools, I was a behavior para. That was my first position into the schools. Um, and I still had my, I had just had my bachelor's at that time. And so in that position, I was very familiar with the work that I'd been doing with um, helping kids with their behaviors and learning to um, manage those. So I would have certain kids on my caseload that I would go interact with throughout the day, certain classes that I would be in with them, um, and just help teach them some skills to manage their behaviors. Um, and that's, I think, when I really realized, okay, I definitely want to go on and get my master's because I would like to work in a different position but within the school, whether that's school social worker, or school counselor. Um, so then I went on to get that. And with while I was getting my master's degree, I was in a new position, which was the student assistant specialist. And that position worked closely, closely with the counseling department and counselors um, working primarily with at-risk youth, um, kids who were referred for because they'd been um, caught with drugs or alcohol on campus and doing small groups with um, teaching them how to manage emotions and things like that as well. Did you notice when you became a school um, counselor that the job was different between working in the community and working inside of the school system? Yeah, definitely. Well, and I was a little hesitant to become a school counselor because um, I, I thought that they some of their duties um, weren't things that really interested me. So I've seen how sometimes school counselors can be used for other administrative things or clerical things, really, um, that aren't really appropriate for a school counselor. And so that kind of kept me away from applying for a school counseling position. But then I saw the other things that they did um, that really interests me, working one-on-one -on -one individual counseling sessions with students. Um, and that's what I really wanted to do. And since then, like a lot has changed too. We've Our district has been really great about using our counselors um, more appropriately, I think, versus working in the community you work with. So if I were to be an individual clinical counselor right now, I'd be working again with a very um, specific population probably and those kids that are their parents are bringing them to counseling. And in the school, I feel like um, what I like about the school is that we have the opportunity to really teach all of the students and try to meet their social-emotional needs there. And they come to you Yeah, well. Yeah, so once it's for a lot of our students, the school is their safe place. And so coming to school, feeling safe, and already feeling like they have that rapport with us, then it's nice when they're the ones seeking out their the support that they're wanting. You know, If they're needing to work through something at school, we can do it right then. Um, and not to say that I think there's definitely a need for a lot of our students to have outside services, outside counseling, more intense treatment um, and therapy. But and 
we also can help get those students connected who might not, their parents might be, might not be aware of those services or not, or won't pursue them for them. I know that you have really bridged the gap between a guidance counselor and being actually a counselor for kids in a school. I think in Idaho, perhaps it's pretty uh, mixed what we see in that position. Do you have any advice mm -hmm. for any counselors who would be, or people in this field who may want to get out of the, I'm uh, just building schedules to I'm actually helping kids with social emotional needs. Do you have any advice for them how they would transition that? Yeah. So a big thing that helped me and some of the colleagues in our district, um, we attended a ACA conference. So that's the American School Counseling Association. That's our national model or our model for school counseling. Um, and they're, there's a lot of great resources there. They help um, They help give you the resources to do that, to help bridge that. And to kind of there was some uh, breakouts that I went to that I even talked about, like how do you build a program in your school and have, have those conversations with your community, with your administrators. Um, and that was really helpful. And there's books out there too. So if somebody can't afford to attend those conferences, there's actually the ASCA framework um, books that they can purchase. And I think for administrators, just having those conversations because they might not be aware that there's this national model out there. So what are some of the things that you have done to maybe change that, um, change that reputation in your school? And how do you help kids know that you're those kind of things are available to them. I'm just starting, just, I mean, talking with my administration team, like I work closely with them um, and letting them know these are the ideas they have and how it benefits our school and our student achievement, right? We focus a lot on student achievement and what is, and what I like to look at is, well, what does that mean? Like, what is achievement? What are we trying to achieve? And not just um, academics, but if, just having those conversations about if a student is doing well social emotionally and they're receiving these um, services or we're able to work with them in these ways, then they're, it's going to help with their achievement. Um, and talking to our teachers, educating them on that and offering trainings for them as well. So in the school... Now that you are in there, and I can't remember how many years you said you've been in a school counseling position. What? How many years? It's been like seven or eight. Feels like it's less than a half. <laughs> yeah. Seven or eight. What are what are kids struggling with right now? Right now, right now. Well, okay. So this is being recorded in the middle of a pandemic, everyone. So I, when I say right now, I'm I'm kind of asking for more general um, because I know that. The home situation and uh, online learning has a lot of different struggles. So let's maybe go back a little bit into the regular uh, school and what what are they? Okay. What are their biggest struggles right now? So a lot of times our kids struggle with things that are going on at home, and that doesn't just leave once they walk through our door. And so that's one thing that I think we talk about is um, how our students struggle managing what they have going on at home and then coming and functioning at school and dealing with navigating those emotions and everything. I want to know what the top three um, 
things that are, are most bothering kids that they need counselors for? The top top three things that you see that they come in your office saying, this is this is affecting me. Um, and these okay. are things that are disrupting them from receiving, you know, from getting instruction, from being, uh, you know, in their classes. So what are like the top three you would say that, that kids come to you and, and need help with? Okay. Um, so I would say peer conflict. So we see a lot of kids that are struggling interacting with their peers, whether they feel like they're being um, bullied or they're just having a hard time working through conflicts with their friends. That's a big one that we deal with a lot. Um, and then just managing their emotions. So if they're struggling with whatever it is that's going on, but it's causing them to feel um, depressed or anxious, we deal with a lot of anxiety. Um, kids are really struggling with their anxiety. Probably just family stuff. So like their family conflict or worries, stress, things like that. I I like that you said anxiety because I. F- I hear this a lot. This is, I hear things in the news, like it's the most anxious generation of kids. And how, how do you think that, that they are coping with anxiety in the school? Are they going to counselors? Are they, do you feel like they're unprepared? Like, do they need more help in this area? I feel like sometimes they come to counselors. I feel like a lot of times they're trying to work it out with each other. So they go to their friends. Um, and that's something that we've tried, to, which is normal. We, I mean, developmentally, that's where they're at. Well, and I'm talking from a middle school pers- perspective. Um, when kids hit that age, they're really trying to be more independent, and so they really don't want to go to adults as much. I think at the elementary level, you'll see that kids are always going to their teacher and telling them things. Um, but at the middle school, I see that they're trying to help each other and counsel each other through things. And... Well, I think that can be helpful at times. Like their friends don't always have those skills to help them work through what they're go- what what it is they're experiencing. So I'm sure that this happens, but sometimes kids cause more damage talking to each other, helping each other through situations than helping. Right, right, and. And one of the things we talk about at our school is um, what being a good friend is keeping keeping things confidential sometimes, right? So your friend might tell you they have a crush on somebody. You want to keep that a secret. But what teaching them when it is appropriate to get other people involved, like the counselors, teachers, an, an adult involved, because it's a secret that is bigger than them. It's something that they can't, it's too much for them to handle, Um because if somebody's telling you I'm thinking about, and this is an extreme level, but I'm thinking about hurting myself or suicide, which is happening. Kids are having these thoughts and dealing with this. Their friends, if they don't get somebody else involved, we know that can be really damaging. Yeah. Uh, I think friends can be very helpful, but they can also just cause a lot of different things to happen and then gets into gossip and, can really uh, right, or they the think they're helping their friends, and they're telling them, "Hey, did you know so and so said this about you?" Because I think my friend w- would want to know this, but it causes more drama. Becoming a great teacher is about being a great leader. If you want to add more leadership to your classroom, try out my book study of Brene Brown's book *Dare to Lead*, available at cpd.nnu.edu. Click "See the Course Catalog." 
Then click CPD Online and select Dare to Lead Book Study to enroll. This whole season is really about classroom management. And the reason I wanted to have you on here, partly, is to learn a little bit more about counseling. But I think we as teachers forget that when someone is being disruptive in a classroom, there's more things that are going on besides what we see. So can you help pull back that other side of the curtain? Uh, And so maybe share with us what you see when someone's being disruptive or angry or um, refusing to do work and then they come to your office, what kind of things, what kind of situations are those kids going through that can help us better understand uh, the, the kids in our class? You know, we'll have kids come into our office where they might appear disruptive or even just shut down, and which appears like they're being defiant because they don't want to do the work, and there's stuff going on with their family. Like a kid might be, their parents might be have, going through a divorce. Um, or a grandparent has recently died or is sick. Um, all sorts of things that kids aren't very good about expressing, especially to their teachers when it's happening, um, but they are showing it through their behavior. Um, and so just understand, trying to, trying to have the students talk to us about what it is going on and then finding out if it's something we can share with the teachers and because that information is helpful for the teachers to, to know that there's something there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, when we're talking about classroom management, um, I mean, what is it that the teachers are managing when we look at what is that? It's to manage the environment, right, and try to not have disruptive behaviors happening in the classroom and so then we have to look at well, what is the purpose of these behaviors and understand that function well i think refusal is a huge one that all grades experience um and it's probably more common than you know the screamer the runner or the hitter but if a kid is refusing the do nothing the do nothing yeah 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 so what what do you see when you you know sometimes they they skip the counseling office and go straight to the principal's office or something like that but when you do are able when you are able to intercept them what do you find that the refusal what is that usually what's underneath the surface there they're experiencing some sort of emotion i mean we would call that like they're feeling triggered for some reason something's going on there and I think sometimes as educators, we don't take that into account. Like, you know, I, as a school counselor, like saying, talking about feelings and emotions, that's kind of, I've heard people joke about like, oh, you're always focusing on the feelings and how feelings are kind of a fluffy thing, but really feelings drive everything. Like people's emotions are driving how they're behaving. So there's some sort of either it's sadness, anger, rejection that students are experiencing does that make sense no it it does having been in the classroom and having definitely been that ignorant teacher who you know this is my way or the highway um, moments in teaching how can I tap into some resources or or do you have any tips for this kind of me as a teacher who is maybe struggling with these kind of kids so one thing I wanted to talk about is the FBA, the Functional Behavior Assessment. So we talk about that in more of the special ed department. 
in that area, like once the kid gets referred there. And I think it's something that needs to become more of a general conversation. So when teachers are first noticing that their student is be, is acting a certain way and thinking right away, like, what is the function? Because that's, that's a really basic way to think. Like there's always, everybody has a trigger or they're doing this for a reason. And I think we forget that. Like we think they're just coming in here acting like this for no reason. I don't understand it. And, and just really start changing the way we're thinking about behaviors. Um, and it's interesting. I was just reading something not too long ago about how most of our decisions we make are emotionally driven. Like it's not very often that we're thinking really rationally when we make decisions. <laughs> There's a reason, you know, it's that emotion behind there. Um, so a good resource though is the whole brain child, um, just to help remind us those the basics of how our brain functions when we're feeling certain things. Um, so that's by Dan Siegel. He's a neuroscientist um, or psychiatrist. Can you explain a little bit about what an FBA is and what who uses it and maybe if like can a gen, how could a general ed teacher maybe tap into that resource? I mean, it's something that's used when a student is being referred to um, special ed for behavior specifically. So like we're looking at, well, why are they acting like this? And, and I don't think it has to be at that point that we're using it, but that is how schools use it. Um, but it's an assessment of just trying to understand what the function is, like why is a child acting this way? And so there's different resources out there. Um, on the PBI's website, we can look at I think there's an FBA on there, so you can just, it's a screener. Uh, so counselors can do it, school sites can do it. It's a functional behavior assessment. And also, if you have teachers who are part of the RTI team, uh, response to intervention team, right. they, they sometimes will have access to that. And it's not a very complicated one. You don't need like a degree in counseling or psychology or special education to do it. It is really just a questionnaire. Um, and a lot of observation. So a teacher who was really having a tricky behavior student um, could work with their RTI team and maybe, you know, do a little bit of this themselves to try to better understand the student. Right, exactly, before it even gets to that referral process. So I've spoken with a lot of teachers in this series about things that they do to help manage a class and uh, have you seen any practices that are harmful, maybe socially, emotionally harmful to kids um, that happen in the classroom? So I think that when teachers are thinking about classroom management, there's either too too flexible in like, well, I want the kids to be able to feel like they can make choices. And so being like too um, lax, I guess. And then there's the other extreme of being too rigid. And so I think when we're talking about like a seating arrangement, sometimes people are like, I just want them to be able to have that choice and sit wherever they they want to. And that can create an unsafe environment for kids because what we've seen is that it, it becomes chaotic. Um, some kids are 
sitting next to kids that they don't want to or that they don't feel safe by. And just a simple thing like that, um, I think is one thing to really think about. And then on the other side of it, being more rigid and having, like not being open to letting kids have a voice when they want to tell you something that's going on and just kind of shutting them down. Like I don't, and this might sound bad, but I think we've some, I think I even do this as a parent sometimes. Like I don't care what your excuse is, right? Like saying those words, like I don't, I don't care right now. I just need you to do this um, can be really harmful because then they're internalizing that as I don't, you don't care about me or you don't want to hear my voice doesn't matter. Um, and there's different ways to say like, now it's not the time, but I want to hear from you. Yeah. I, Later we yeah. can talk about this. I've actually heard, um, we had this discussion earlier about cl- uh, seating charts, how they're mm-hmm. relevant from kindergarten up uh, for kids to feel safe. And that, and we also talked a little bit about, you know, yelling. Do you feel like yelling is still a thing? I just want to touch base. Does that have some negative effects on kids uh, in the school setting? If a teacher is, you know, there's a stern voice, right? And there's a, uh, there's a teacher that's full on yelling. Do you see any potential harm to that? Yeah, I do. I don't, um, I don't see that as helpful. So I wouldn't see why yelling would be, I mean, because really it just can shut down kids. It can be really triggering for kids um, who are receiving that at home or having, relating that to abuse and things like that. Um, And just emotionally that can be harmful to students. Yeah. I, like that you spoke on how we could phrase our our discussion towards kids like they will I, I really can see a kid saying I will only hear the part where you said I don't have time for you right I don't have time for you right now they'll just hear you don't have time right. for me you don't, I'm not important right. to you like that's what sticks yeah. in kids minds and so if you can phrase things like wow, what you're saying is really important. Can you come back in five minutes and let's talk about it? Uh, just by rearranging how that's delivered to kids can make a huge impact on how they see you as as a teacher uh, on some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, kids can also feel like they're constantly being picked on, which the kids might constantly be demonstrating disruptive behavior. Um, and so in turn, a teacher is trying to correct them. Um, but just being really aware of that, like if, if somebody's doing something and it's their last straw, but are you correcting this other kid in your classroom and their behavior, if they're showing the same behaviors and they're really praising the positive behaviors and not taking things personal. I think sometimes we see that, like kids aren't doing it to personally hurt you or the teacher. I think that's sometimes hard. So uh, there's a couple more things I want to get to really quick. What can teachers do to learn more? You mentioned a couple books, but what else would you recommend for the teachers to learn more about the kids' social-emotional needs and how they can better uh, manage their classroom thinking of those things? One thing we do is, as part of our school counseling program is we go into the classrooms and teach lessons on social-emotional learning. And... We do that for every, we try to hit all the students, so not hit them. (laughs) We try to, (laughs) so we 
are really intentional that we're making sure we're getting into every classroom so every student is receiving the information. And so that could be just a core class that we know every student has. Um, and that's part of that national model, which is why we really try to follow that. Um, there are different programs so that are out there that where teachers are teaching these lessons and there's curriculum offered or they can um, incorporate into their their lessons. Um, but in social emotional learning, I don't think we really defined what that is. Um, but it's just teaching about how to process one's feelings and what they're going through. And, um, and that's not just for kids. I think we know a lot of adults who are still working on that and learning that. Um, so that would be another recommendation is to, for a teacher really to understand their own social emotional process and they can demonstrate that. That's another way to teach it. So you're saying that you go into the classroom and take over the teacher's class for a period and teach lessons on this straight to kids? Yes. So we will take plan for a whole period of my colleague and I will both go in and talk on different lessons about, and we've made it specific to what our student body um, what the need, what their need is. So like I talked about anxiety earlier, we talked specific about anxiety, what it is, what does it feel like recognizing your our triggers and what it feels like in our body and then how do we help calm ourselves down? How do we cope with that and different strategies for the students? And can you give me just a, a quick example of what a strategy that a teacher could pick up and, and how you would teach it to kids kind of just talk us through it right here like okay maybe this is I always try to ask for a tip like your favorite classroom management tip but maybe in this case what's your favorite mini lesson or, or explanation of how to deal with with some of these things and maybe I know um, flipping the lid is a popular one but maybe an example of something that a teacher could pick up from learning from you just now of what they can use in the class? Yeah, so deep breathing is probably one of my biggest ones. I mean, we teach that to everybody. The teachers have heard us teach it. Um, and really focusing on, if you see us, if a teacher sees a student that's struggling or getting angry or shut down, just reminding them because deep breathing takes that extra, we have to think about it. Like we breathe without thinking all the time. And so actually slowing down our breaths and having a teacher remind a student, hey, really think about counting to five as you take a deep breath in and then hold it and try to count to five slowly as you breathe out. Um, and if they can come up with the same, um, like we talk about four square breathing or box breathing, um, if they all can get on the same page, then they can just remind them, are you doing your breathing right now? And that's a, it's really, and why we love that one for the school is because we always have our breath with us, and so it's something they can do right there in the classroom. So they have to breathe in for how many seconds and then breathe out? How do you do it? So you go in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. Um, so that's, I mean, the square breathing is one way that helps is just going up for four on the square or 
I'm trying to like show you, but I know <laughs> people can't see this. Um, but for each line around a square, it has four sides. So they will breathe for four for each part of their breath. And the big thing is holding it at the top of the breath before they let it out and holding it at the bottom. So they, so you, you could draw a square on a board, right? And as you draw it, go in for four, yes. four seconds, Hold. and then you yes. hold for four seconds, and that's another line of the square, and then out yes. for four, and then hold for four, and that completes the square. So they could all... Yeah, and it feels really unnatural to do that because that's not what we're using, especially as we start to feel the our emotions happening. Um, we Our breath quickens. We do fast short breath and that's just our natural our nervous system responding to to what's happening around us or to us that's a pretty easy lesson then i i think you know i was a music teacher and we talked about breathing a lot but we don't talk about it in those kind of um ways and it's really um pretty simple to do uh, with the class the class do you get some resistance the kids would think oh this is silly I'm sure you've done it when you've gone to classes. Do they do you get any pushback from kids or how do we? How do yeah, I mean, and and we talk about that too. We know that you guys think that this doesn't work, but it's probably because you're not doing it right or long enough. There's there really is a right way to do this, and you have to take the time. And the teachers have to be able to allow that time, right? Um, let them sit there, come back and check on them, and keep reminding them. And um, sometimes the teachers will let them come to the counseling office if it's somebody who really needs a lot more time to calm down. Um, there is resistance, but it's, I think it's because this idea seems so simple, like really deep breathing. How is that going to help me? Yeah. It, and so trying to explain the science to them about the, the nervous system and how the body responds to feeling anger or anxious or afraid. Well, there's probably, them. there's probably academic benefits too. Like let's do some breathing before we, take a test to lower anxiety Mm -hmm. and things like that so just a skill I think that's a pretty good skill that that teachers can use in their classroom and and you know uh use for lots of different reasons especially calming in this class yeah you could start your class out every day with some deep breathing just to help set the right set Mm -hmm. the the tone because you don't really know how every student's coming in but we know it could be beneficial for every student yeah, and really beneficial for those who are maybe suffering with some of these things who don't have the skills. Yeah. So what about uh, school-wide models for, for learning? Like, is do, there, do they need to have a school-wide model, or what is it? how do you even create one, or is it just we kind of fly? I think a lot of schools, honestly, fly by the seat of their pants and just hope, hang on for the ride and hope that things don't get too traumatic. Yeah, I... I believe in school-wide models because, I mean, I guess why not? Like, it's a systemic thing. I think that social-emotional learning is for everybody. And um, so I think that there are different programs out there. I would also advocate to use your counselor more for these sort of programming because that's what we are trained to do. There's resources out there for counselors to be able to use their time in that way where we're, we are helping program um, and bring in the social emotional curriculum or um, lessons, and so that's what we're doing at our school. But I think you can also bring in other experts or consultants. Um, some of that stuff gets pricey, though. But hey, Jasmine, I guess that was the other one I would want to say. I don't know. Deep breathing just came to me, but like the basic is building relationships with your students. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. 
let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the impact of uh, a building relationship with kids and, and the classroom management benefits. What are your thoughts? I think that's key. I think that a big part of classroom management is managing the behaviors in the classroom, right? So you have to get to know your students and get to know what triggers them or what they're going through and understand that. And if they feel safe with you, they're going to they're gonna be able to come to you with things or they'll probably work better for you, right? Um, and so easy ways we see that, just a simple to start off with is the greeting every student when they walk in the classroom. That's, I think, a basic one that we hear about and that not everybody does. And it doesn't take a lot of extra time, I don't feel like. Yeah, that I think greeting kids is the basic, right? Greeting kids at the door and saying their name is, is one of the uh-huh. most simple things you can do. Uh, I did want to ask you one thing before we end here. I think teachers are the forgotten aspect of this as uh, the job and the profession becomes more difficult and more stressful. What what can teachers do to help themselves? Because we think about how kids are anxious or kids are upset, but I think we forget about our teachers and the stresses that they go through in this profession. And, and you know, we live those highs and lows with the kids. What what can teachers do to, to help if they are struggling or, or any resources? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that because, I, and I think you know this, I'm really passionate about that is um, teachers give so much to the students they're pouring out so much um and and they really are the frontline workers i believe in this field even like in the mental health field they're the ones that are recognizing their students when they're struggling with things and with like anxiety or depression and that's really takes a toll on those teachers because they're they're working right there with them um and so i think it's important that they are doing things to help manage their stress. And one way that I feel like, you know, just talking to their colleagues and the counselors um, in their school and doing things that help relieve their stress. Um, And so, and that's, that's one thing that I've been focusing on this last year is helping teachers um, understand that their self-care is so important. I know that's kind of a, I think a buzzword sometimes self-care but really um, and what does that look like it isn't it's not just uh, once a week once a month thing but it's doing something every day to help you to help pour into you that you're whether that's um, exercise reading um, eating healthy there's a lot of different ways but do you think that teachers could go and talk to a counselor or at their school I think that I think that gets a little tricky. So I think that's a good starting place. I know that um, I would I don't counsel my colleagues, but I would help connect them with those resources. Um, and so just being aware that your counselor has the resources to help you get connected. And okay, well, thank you, Darcy. Uh, thanks for spending the time with us. And I think counselors can be a really critical part of managing a classroom. And we want to always protect uh, the kids around us. So thanks for spending some time with me here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm sure there's there's other things that I could talk about, but 
We'll have to do that another time. Yeah. Ready for season two. All right. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye. If you want to take this class for credit, go to pdlearn.nnu.edu and click CPD online, then select PD in pajamas to enroll in the course.